Hi there, I'm Willie Russo and you're listening to Interview with an Artist, the weekly show where we speak with a range of art world players. Australian-born, LA-based George Byrne is a man of many talents. He's been an elite barista, worked in construction, is a musician, has tried acting, and at 25, retired from photography. Yep, the artist behind the beautiful book Post-Truth walked away from photography. You see, the cameras and equipment in the late 90s and early noughties were cumbersome, and rather than being something that gave him wings, it tied him down. George then decided to dedicate the next 10 years to music. So how did he find himself back behind the lens? Well, we talk about that in today's episode of Interview with an Artist, along with a range of other topics, including how LA became his muse, the attention to detail that went into creating his book, and what some of the misconceptions might be about his art. George and I spoke in early October when he was in hotel quarantine here in Sydney. He's back in the country for his solo exhibition that opens on the 27th of October at Olsen Gallery. If you aren't one of the 139,000 people following George on Instagram, head on over and check out his glorious feed. Enjoy meeting the entertaining and talented George Byrne. George Byrne, welcome to Interview with an Artist. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. You're back in Australia. It's your second time going through quarantine. How do you live in LA at the moment? been there for 10 years yeah how does it feel when you come back to Australia each time it's always exciting uh, I feel a deep connection to Australia and Sydney specifically um, still so I grew up here and grew up in Balmain um, so still have very many fond memories um, of Sydney and uh, and you still actually got family here yeah, I do. I have I have three sisters. Um, younger sister Rose lives in New York. Middle sister Alice lives in Melbourne, and my elder sister lives in Sydney. So we're sp- spread all over the place at the moment, which is tricky. And my mum and dad live in Tasmania. So, oh my god, cl- for a close family, I don't know what we're doing. Um, have happens. you got like lots of Zoom meetings going on for family? We tried it. We tried it like everyone else in the beginning of the pandemic, and it fell over pretty quickly. Um, but we've got a thriving group text oh, yeah. uh, that uh, has really found its legs in the last 18 months. Um, but no, Sydney still does feel like, you know, family headquarters in a way. We have a, an apartment here that we share that's in Darlinghurst that we sort of use as a bit of a base where when anyone's in town and mum and dad probably spend half the year here. So that's their sort of um, city base and they get to see all the nephews and and um, all the girls come in when they can and, and we do our best to get together. But, um, yeah, no, I, I do really love coming back. The last, you know, this time and last time obviously has it's been a very different experience to, to every other time I've come back because of quarantine and uh, just actually this, this quarantine, very different to the previous one too because Australia you know, last September was, was really COVID-free and um, sort of doing better than anywhere else mm. at that point. And since has just been hit terribly and so I do I did feel um a sort of different energy coming into Sydney this time and just that sort of the, the toughness and the struggle that is emanating from from everywhere and um I I hope that uh that there is good news on the horizon it does look it does look like 
that's close to being opened up and, and maybe that'll be, oh, I assume it will be a very sort of joyous celebratory summer coming up um, yeah. for people. Um, but, yeah, it, I think since I started working with Olsen Gallery in Wallara around five or six years ago, that has really changed my um, relationship with Australia as well. I think the first five years I was in Los Angeles, I was I wasn't coming home nearly as much. I couldn't really afford it. And I didn't have that much to do here other than see friends and family. So it really, it, it was just a time to come back and have a holiday and have a million coffees and go to the beach. And that, um, as a struggling artist, only lasts so long. You start getting a bit anxious and you've got to get <laughs> home and got to work out what you're doing. So this, this, this thing of being able to work when I come home, and that is the reason I come home, has really been so great um and really helped me forge a new deeper sort of relationship with the country i think and the yeah. people uh, that i didn't have before so it's worked out well how did the olsen relationship come about i actually met tim through paul davies who's another artist painter friend good friend of mine who um who i i met paul in los angeles actually just by chance through some mutual friends and um yeah loved his painting and was just curious about his process so I ended up going visiting his studio in LA and then um got to showing him some of my work and and um yeah he was just such a great champion of my work and was sort of giving me a leg up here and there and um we did a group show together at the at the um Standard Hotel in West Hollywood a sort of installation group show quite early on in my exhibiting career and uh and yeah we just just good mates and and he I just said you know I was I was exhibiting on my own at that point I was just doing pop-up shows where I could and, and doing smaller scale work and really sort of building my base at that point and and my aesthetic and um he at some point just said yeah if you are looking for a gallery let me know I'd love to um introduce you to Tim at some point because Tim was traveling to LA a fair bit okay. at, that, at that time yeah. and he also Tim also had the, the gallery in New York so I think he was just doing a lot more uh, probably stopping in LA on his way to New York that, and doing bits and pieces on his way through and, and I ended up meeting Tim at the Soho house in West Hollywood which is sort of a, a this sort of fancy members club over there which um has a nice view and you can if you know i think tim had a membership so he let me up and I, oh let me i actually think it was paul and um the three of us had a coffee and that was right. it and we just had a coffee and i ended up giving just meeting tim and then sending him some material and over a few months uh, he offered me the chance to put a single piece into a group show an international photography show in 2015 at Olsen Gallery and I think there would have been about 20 different photographic artists. I think it was when he was looking to expand a bit into that medium and he was interested in photography and uh, that was a good way for him to see some, a variety of work and see how it um, how it went down and how um, his clientele responded to it and and that was it. I put a big a big piece in that show called Fitzroy Pool and it was just a, bl a blue and yellow and pink very simple, um, I guess, uh, composition landscape, yeah, composition of, landscape yeah. of this edge of a swimming pool in Melbourne where I used to do laps. And um, 
and it was it was quite successful. I sold a few of those, and and in doing that, really established how I would go on to exhibit from that point. In the sense of what I needed to do was make a, a big photo, a large scale photo, and work out how to present it. And I hadn't done that before, and that exhibition was a really good opportunity to do that. I'd, I'd been exhibiting twenty by 30, thirty centimeter type images yeah right and then um but with a view to go bigger i was like i really want to make these big i think they look great and really immersive at a bigger scale and so i started using bigger cameras like medium format film cameras and knowing that was the goal and then that that opportunity arose and i was like okay how am i gonna do this I, you got to sort of pick a number it's like how big is it because it's not like a painting where you you've got your canvas and that's it with a photo you can you're really unlimited i mean within reason depending on how the quality of your of your file but so yeah I picked that scale I picked the, the way I was going to present them and and so that was a big show for me just it established how I was going to do it how they were going to look and I was really happy with it and and um following that uh Tim gave me the opportunity to, to have a solo show the following year so that was the beginning of that and that was 2016 and then I've had sort of one or two shows since that time with them, uh, either in the Jersey Road space or the the annex around the corner. Yeah. And um, yeah, been been incredibly pivotal to my development uh, as an artist, and um, them being such an amazing, you know, gallery with, I mean the the artists that have come through over there over the years it was very daunting actually to start working with tim and, the, and that stable i was like okay you're like oh my god yeah i'm good yep i definitely deserve to be here yeah uh, george burn remember that name yeah. <laughs> yep so you can't focus on that or else you you lose balance you've got to keep marching forward and just decide that you belong to be there and um they're actually uh incredibly um, good people to work with. Um, the, the the manager in there, um, Katrina Arendt, is is just incredible, and she is the sort of heart and soul of uh, of the operation. Tim is the is the boss, and and everything obviously runs through Tim. But and but Katrina is very much the 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 general, and um, we have some other great staff in there who who have always been amazing. I've never had a bad experience yeah. since, and it's just. You know you're in a, in the right spot when that happens, and and there's so it's a it's a difficult, tricky relationship at times. There's a lot lot of organising and mm. things to get right, and we haven't ever missed a beat. So um, it's been great, and after and as a result of working with them and having those shows, um, I've then gone on to work with a bunch of other other galleries um, around the place, around different different territories of the world that have ended up coming along. So. It's been good. It's been quite a busy, a busy time, really. I was, I wasn't um, prior to you know 2015, 2016. I didn't have that type of singular focus in my life. I was very doing different things. I was, I'm a musician. I'm also, yeah. I was going to say very creative in, and so I wonder how did that channeling down into the photography come about, or was it kind of the the Olsen gallery kind of ticked that in or ha yeah well, how it was that it was happening prior it was I think I had I had been doing you know music photography I'd been working in cafes and bars and uh I'd done construction and I it was after I moved to Los Angeles the the 
the sort of um, the non-creative work was harder to get. So I was feeling that constriction and, and starting to get and old. I was getting older. I was like getting into my mid-30s and I was like, all right, this has been fun, but, you know. What am I doing? Yeah, what the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> and I, I was doing lots of things reasonably well as opposed to one thing really well. And um, I, I just got an amazing opportunity. I mean, through, through coming to LA and, and having an immediate reaction to the landscape there mm. and starting to shoot prolifically with no real reason other than that because I was just fascinated with this place. And that's the best reason, obviously, to, to make anything and do anything is because you, there's a compulsion. So I had the compulsion. I had ticked that box. I, I found my sort of visual muse in a sense of what I wanted to look at. And then um, the advent of smartphones and um, social media allowing me to promote the work and get this following out of nowhere uh, was just, it was really a case of just pl planetary alignment, luck, whatever you want to call it. But um, I didn't, you know, I did not let that opportunity pass. I could see that this was a, an amazing, I've been doing this for long enough that I know when yeah. things come along and, you know, I've, I've worked really hard on art since I was, you know, 15. And this is the first time where I saw a passage, a, a path, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, this is lining this up. Is, yeah. yeah. And I, so I was at a point in my life where I was very ready to really, really um, focus and do everything I could to um, make it work and honor that opportunity. And that's basically what I did. I just sort of worked like a maniac and, um, did as much as I could and, and kept pushing the work and practicing and uh, just that whole, you know, repetition. And that was what smartphones were good for um, as well as many things they're awful for. They uh, allowed me to carry a decent camera in my pocket. And I was never someone that did that. I was always someone who kind of loathed carrying around cameras, even though I... Yeah, I was going to ask, are you like uh, the guy with like five cameras no. on you at all times and... <laughs> Oh, I hated it. I, I really I've had a love-hate relationship with photography ever since I've been doing it. I don't like the feeling of carrying cameras. I find it a total ball and chain. And I even found it, you know, when I was doing more sort of street documentary work in my early 20s, I found it, it really started to bug me how it took me out of my own experience in life. I became yeah. way more obsessed with finding photos than actually living in the moment and it bugged me to the point where I had to have, I had a break and sort of retired. I remember I took all my film and cameras and gave them away. I took them to, to my old university and put them on a table and said, that's it, I'm done. And, oh had my a break. Lord. and that was, um, that was my first break from photography when I was sort of 25, when I went, went and started doing music full time. But um, so, yeah, it was, I think I benefited greatly from that and from having a tool that wouldn't weigh me down literally. And, um, I could start doing my sketching and research and practice in in that way with a with a cheap um, or free really free a camera that you could look, shoot unlimited images for free. I mean that, that in its own was a coup. I mean if you grow up with film, it's incredible. Those expensive. old disposable cameras that you sometimes yeah. would get at weddings. It's just like snap, snap, exactly. snap. Yeah, Wait till you mean, get it developed. <laughs> exactly, but if you go into medium format, it starts being like a dollar fifty an image. So you really start yeah. getting careful with what, what you're pressing yes. the button on. Um, so it was a really amazing stroke of luck, really, that I got th those elements to come together. And then um, once I'd 
honed the what I was doing and started to experiment with that, the, the sort of forms of manipulation and collage that I started to mm. muck around with. Then I went back to the big cameras, okay. the, the medium format cameras, and started to sort of really build the exhibition practice up. Yeah, okay. And so those two things kind of went together and, um, yeah, that's what's, that's what's brought me to here today. Wow, that's amazing. Mm. That's amazing, particularly because at the time, like, you were like, I'm done with cameras, yet you have now built this kind of phenomenal yeah, I was totally done on. with it. I was, um, I, I kind of, I went to, you know, I, I studied um, fine arts and photography at Sydney College of the Arts. It, I, actually, no, I started an arts degree at Sydney Uni and then did, and then after two years, I, I decided, you know, I was, really taken more interest in the art stuff more than anything else. I said, I may as well jump over to Sydney College of the Arts. So I ended up being at uni for five years. But um, straight out of university, I was sort of shot out of the canon. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to do exhibitions. I had a show when I was my first solo exhibition when I was 21. It opened at Global Gallery in Paddington. And I was images I took in India. So it was sort of like travel photography, classic yeah. National Geographic style, but square format. And that yeah. was going to be... That was what I was sort of interested in at the time. Um, and it was a pretty niche thing back then. It wasn't sort of many people doing that. And I, I had just seen a couple of Grant Mudford pictures of the, at the art gallery and that was like, oh, okay, photography in an art gallery, interesting. And, and I was sort of planting seeds along the way of what could be possible. And then, um, like I said, the type of work I was doing was really out on the street and it was that sort of hunting. It's like you're sort of waiting. You, you, you find the scene, you find the sort of the wall and the park bench and the thing and you're like, now I need like an old woman to walk down with a black umbrella and a cat to run through there and I'm good and like just wait. <laughs> <laughs> and like uh, it's just it's, t it's hard. It's extremely yeah. <laughs> labour-intensive work that, I, that felt more to me like than playing chants than actually channeling something mm, okay. and being expressive it was yeah. and I know there would be probably many photographers who'd argue that that's not the case but just for me the way I yeah. felt didn't feel purely creative it felt like I was just out and about just waiting for the right thing to happen to be in the right place and yeah. like I said it sort of take me out of my own life experience especially when I was traveling so I decided to to have a break yeah and I thought I didn't know if I would come back to it at all at the time um but I wanted to, I was always playing music as well. It's been a sort of an arm wrestle between music and art my whole life since I was, 15, you know, 13, really doing both. Yeah. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give 10 years to music and see how that goes. So picked that up and, and started making records and moved to Melbourne and played live every, twice a week and, and had, had an amazing experience doing that. Made absolutely no money and had the classic sort of music experience, you know, yeah, yeah, nightmare, <laughs> which I, should, I won't go into, I won't bore you with, but um, but it was yeah, it was it was incredible, and then and then moving to Los Angeles was a bit of a shot yeah, in the dark, the, really. What I was the catalyst for that? Was just like I need something new and fresh, and pretty much, yeah. It was, yeah. it was just I wanted to have a break and do something different. I'd always had a very strong sense that I was going to live overseas growing up just because why not I mean you only live once and um I love traveling and and thought it's, it's one of those great experiences you should try and have if you can is to is to do it so I thought I'd give it my best shot I'd 
traveled to Europe a bit, I couldn't use that visa anymore. So I thought, all right, I really could only choose America. That was part of why I chose the States was I could get these. There were these visas getting handed out to musicians at the time. I don't think they exist anymore. It's like a, it's a touring musician visa. Okay. So I I had to just build a a tour essentially that went for three years. (laughs) I just made it up. George Byrne, all around exactly. America. Exactly, George Byrne, unknown musician doing a three-year tour. I mean, so I just it was like an Excel spreadsheet sort of type thing where I just found. I mean, there were these there were these guys who were doing them. So they like, I'll send you the sheet. There's like forty <laughs> venues you can use. Just plug in your dream tour, and I, I did that. <laughs> this is before you know the internet, probably, so people couldn't check if it was real. Sounds so. Here you go, Mister Immigration. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> this is it, hard copy. Um, so it worked. I mean, I don't know what strings were getting pulled. So finally, suddenly, I've got a three-year tour as an unknown musician with no money, um, and I had two and a half years to spend in the states. So once I got here, that's there. I was. Um, I knew the clock was ticking because I was like, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that again. That visa yeah. thing almost killed me. The, the process of it was so drawn out. and like. Okay. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to go for the green card or come home. And that, that was my, from the very beginning. So I thought, okay. all right. So I relaxed for like three months in the States. And then I'm like started immediately putting together the dossier of all dossiers of all time, which is like, it has to be this thick of supporting evidence that yep. you are an absolute genius and they need you there as a musician, which is so obviously completely ridiculous. But I, I got the paperwork and I managed to get a publishing deal over there with MTV, which looked good on paper and just did a bunch of, I just did everything I could. I was like getting photos with famous people that I met and <laughs> anything. It was just, it, it really is soul destroying that everyone goes through it that tries to get the green card. You just got to kind of, Shut out that any sort of Australian so you, tall poppy syndrome you might have built in. You got the green card, did you? Mm. Oh my god, George Byrne! Yeah. <laughs> it off. yeah, um, yeah, look me up on Spotify, you'll see my tunes. <laughs> so, done, <laughs> so I did it, and that was that's what allowed the whole thing to happen. After that, that's when I locked in, had 10 years. I've actually got to renew it next year, but I was just so fortunate to, to, to get that to happen, and um. And oh I, my God. I, yeah, after that, what, what you can also do after that is work in any field. You know, once you have a green card, you can do anything. I didn't have to hide the casual work I was doing. I was working for cash at cafes for the first three or four years as a barista, as an Aussie barista. And how do you making, like your latte? Making flat, <laughs> three quarter oat, mate. Yeah. Um, I was like, this is when, you know, flat whites were still a novelty. Um, now they're everywhere. It was like, now I'd be oh my my, now my coffee knowledge would be considered so archaic, you know. Um, it would. But back it in totally the day, would. I was like an elite barista, you know. Um, oh but, my god, George! Fast forward to today, you yeah. have an epic book, Post Truth, that's yeah. just come out at the end of Thank last you so year. Much. Yeah. It's so beautiful. You are represented by Olsen. Like you have a following. I think last time I checked, it was like over one hundred and thirty thousand people on Instagram. Can you have imagined you would be where you are today when you were pulling that dossier together, (laughs) getting photos with old mate, whoever. Anyone. Could I have imagined it? I don't think so. I, I, 
Yes and no. It's hard. I wish I could have interviewed myself and asked that. I, I really wasn't focused on photography when I moved to the States. It was something I loved doing on the side. I just sort of shot film. I always had the cameras with me but didn't shoot too much. At the time, I was more focused on music. Um, and mm. I was even doing some acting when I first got to L.A. I just, I, don't know, I was kind of whatever. I was just whatever, having a shot at anything to I could. It, I really yeah. was. And I wasn't an actor and I wasn't really passionate about acting but I had opportunities and my sister was in that world so I was like people would ask me do you want to act I'm like yeah all right well I'll I'll try um so I had some (laughs) oh my god hilarious oh my god this is just the best terrible Um, experiences acting I I can't go there we'll be here all day um but let's just say I've, I've I've dipped my toe in that world and um it's harder than it looks that's all I'll tell you Oh, my God. And so what was it like holding your book? It was unbelievable. Yeah, that was truly stunning. Um, uh, The amount of time that went into that book was just staggering. I didn't realise how many decisions had to be made in a Mm. book at that level because I I did set out at the beginning. I said, I want to make a book that can go toe-to-toe with the best book of this type that I've ever seen. So I, like, picked them out, my favourite, like, Steidl and who were books. they? Um, there was a Lewis Boltz book and a, and a William Eggleston book. They were the two that I considered the best two books, photography books that I'd ever seen that I just loved. So I, I stole and reappropriated little little details that you wouldn't think about. Like, you know how there's an image on the front of my book? There's what they call a moat that goes around mm-hmm. the image. It's a little inlay, like mm-hmm. a little valley. Yep. That moat on my book is about six millimetres wide, where the average moat is about two millimetres. Little detail that you couldn't think about. I That was like one of the biggest things for me. And I'm, How did I'm, you decide on six? Well, I thought it just looked good because the, the Eggleston book that I loved had a six millimetre moat. Oh, yeah. I'd never seen it before and I thought it looked fantastic. And I'm like, yeah. that I've got to do that. So all these little details are very suited to the, my brain and how I think it, how I make my work. So it all, it all fits together. Um, it just means it's just thousands of that, of tiny little decisions you have to make day to day and push it along in tiny increments. And I was paying for everything and had to do everything. I basically acted like a publisher, publisher. distributor mm. for a whole entire year. And that's all I did. Um, me and my incredible studio manager, Danny Duarte in, in LA managed to turn my studio into a production and it was unbelievable how well it worked. And it's thanks to him and his incredible, he's a photographer too, and he helped me with all the sort of the product shots and setting up the website and all the back end stuff that you have to yeah, do. And yeah. it was just an amazing thing we did together that ended up working so well and sold tons of books and made our money back. It was just a really, having everyone telling me, You'll make no money, that sell, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's telling me the whole time. I'm like, all right, just. You should be like, guys, I planned a three-year tour as an yeah. unknown artist. <laughs> I'm still on tour. <laughs> Look me up. Um, yeah, so you asked me how I, would I have predicted it. I, I wouldn't have, but at the same time, I had a funny thing with photography from the beginning where I felt like I could always do it at a pretty mm. solid level. Well, you won an award in 2001 of the Australian Young Photographer of the Year. <laughs> yeah, I had, I, it was one of those, you know, everyone's got a skill they've got where they don't feel like they have to try as hard as other skills. And sometimes that can put you off because you think 
something must be off if you this should be difficult yeah it should be more difficult and i i just for whatever reason there's something to do with the medium that i've always been adept with i've always felt like if i put my mind to it i could i could do it i could i could have a career in it and it just took me a long time to actually get around to it and, and it took it took all those those you know elements to come together for me to be in the right place in my life to be able to um really do it properly but it's been a remarkable few years and and uh, I very very thankful and feel lucky that I have, that I get to do to do this um, full time even though you know it's a grind and I this is a seven day work week for me there's never I, you know I'm doing stuff all the time but I'm doing what I want to do and I'm my own boss and stuff like that so that's always um, a lucky place to be for some people who, who want to live like that. Um, that other people will look at my life and go, what a nightmare. You can't, you, know, you don't know what you're doing next year. How can you sleep at night? <laughs> I have heard previous photographers say like for every one image that makes it, there's like so many that doesn't right mm. in the book. How did you nail it down to those specific images? With great difficulty. Yeah. I was looking at around 150 as contenders for the book. The publisher said I should work around between 56 and 60, oh. which I thought, gee, that's not many. I was doing one pa- one image per page too. I could have increased it if I'd um, gone double page or mixed it up. But I, I wanted the book to be, again, I was borrowing from a, a, a William Eggleston book called Two and a Quarter by Two and a Quarter, which is one image per page, beautifully laid out, the same each book. It's almost like a sort of catalogue feel about it yeah and I wanted this book to be have that catalogue beautiful clean consistent feel and take the reader gradually through the evolution of five years worth of my work that was the sort of mission statement it wasn't supposed to be a book that was had its own unique sort of um, creative bent to it you know like some books are beautifully laid out with different size images and full bleed and half bleed and I didn't want that. I wanted this to be a very sort of conventional, traditional catalogue feeling piece. I'll do other books down the track, but that, for this one, I wanted that to be the feel of it. And the process of culling was I just sort of cruised over the images over and over and over and over, mm. which is kind of how I make every show as well. I, I just sort of hover and and go over and see what stands out. And, and I rearrange and come back and rearrange and come back and rearrange and come back and then I'll it's tough yeah I remember being a pretty pretty difficult process and there was there was a lot of um, hand wringing about what I should leave in and what I should leave out but look ultimately you're just trying to pick the strongest pictures yeah. like you wanted yeah. to you want the pictures to be the best ones that you've made and the ones that tell the story the best and you try not to repeat yourself so there's ones you might like that are similar flip a coin and knock one out or whatever it is and that's kind of how I ended up getting there. And um, with every show, it's funny, there are parallels to making music that like I make roughly 15 to 20 new images per series. Okay. And that's the same with a record. When I would make records, you'd make mm-hmm. about 15 to 20 songs. Yeah. And the same with the record, you'd have a handful that you thought could be singles. And in the, with the photography, there's like a handful that you think are probably going to communicate louder and be more popular and you you just sort of try and find a nice balance, you know, track five, you've got the ballad, you know, you've got <laughs> the instrumental track eight and they have a, a flow. Each series has a flow. So I would go through each, each series and pick out those four or five that I thought were, were strong, but also varied. And also, you know, I wanted the, the series 
in the book to show the fragmentation of the work and the evolution of the manipulation and and how all that has has tra- has gone along. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the goal. So it does run chronologically loosely as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And why do you think your work does resonate with people so much? Oh, that's a. I mean, that's a, such a hard question. I think it's so subjective why people like art. I've heard people say there's an element of satisfaction they get from looking at the work, um, and that is pretty ambiguous as well. I mean, what sort of satisfaction you? Some people there's a kind of meditative stillness mm-hmm. and peace in the images, and maybe that's something that resonates because of the world is you know chaotic by nature, and we're living in a particularly chaotic time. It feels like that anyway, and. I think we look to art in some ways to medicate and calm ourselves down and, and um, escape. And I think there's an element of that in my work. I'm not, I'm not recording the world as truthfully as, as a straight photographer would. Um, there's a lot of people doing that brilliantly, you know, Andrew Quilty and people recording the world as it is. And, and that's such an invaluable practice. But what I'm doing is, is a kind of a fantasy it's, it's escapism and um, that especially this new show Inner Visions that really that idea is really at the forefront of my mind yeah when you talk about manipulation do you ever get to a point where you're like oh I've pushed it a little bit far I need to bring it back yeah yeah absolutely it's really like a sort of um, I, I haven't done much abstract painting but I imagine it's for someone working in that medium it's a bit similar like you you make a mark you step back oh put it you, you cover it up you make a mark you, you're just looking for the interaction between the marks that you make you're waking you're waiting for that moment where things click and there's that alchemy between the elements and certainly yeah that's so true because I do work in augmenting things and treat I treat photography as very like a malleable thing yeah tons of trial and error and also tons of images that just don't work there's some images there's one of the images in this show coming up that I've been looking at for five years I mean I just haven't known how to approach it and then finally I think because of this show was made in lockdown mainly in LA I was just I really did spend more time looking at unresolved work that I'd had and that was one there I was like I just finally saw the answer I was like oh yeah there it is and I just went and then I had the basis for a new oh. work that I think is really strong, but I, I, I just didn't have the right eyes for it um, years prior. So uh, I'm sure that the same thing happens with, with artists. I just, the funny thing is I'm doing this and I don't, I don't know and, uh, many other people working photography in that way, in the same way where it's like applying marks and then leaving it for months or years and then coming back. And it's, it's, it's like it's the photograph tr- is your canvas. Yeah, and I, I think it must be because I started in painting and I, I have a history in it and I think it just feels natural. And I've always, I started in photography from the beginning thinking, I remember thinking, you know, this could be a quick way to make a painting. Like, I remember thinking that at 21, if I could work this out, like, but I couldn't work it out because I didn't know how to do anything at that point. But I was, I would sort of spend a lot of time on details and shapes and colours and just, you know, just things I look at old photos now from when I was a teenager and that's a lot of what I was doing I was sort of looking to um, reinterpret the physical world and make it a sort of abstraction um, and not achieving and not doing it very well Um, you know I'm sure there are tons of people that that might work like that it's just I don't I don't see it that much and I'm sure it's something that will, will grow as the technology has evolved and more people are I mean, there can't be any more people shooting than, than ever has in history right now. It's like everyone's 
pretty yeah, adept I'd... now at taking photos. So um, yeah, part of why I guess yeah, it is an interesting time to be in this space, mm. as they call it. Yeah. What's mm. one misconception about your work? Maybe that it's real. Oh yeah. I do have people still thinking, is that? Where's that? Oh my and I'm god. Like, oh. <laughs> Well, I said, don't go looking for that. That's that's all I tell people. If you're looking for that, there's no pin drop that's going to help you with this one. You might see a fragment of it at this location, but so that that may be a misconception. Having said that, there are the there's still photos in my series that are straight, pretty straight. I pepper them in. There's a few misdirects. There might be a sense that people think the work is easy to make. Because it looks, I mean, it's very simple in a way. And that might be, I'd have to ask people, that that could be a misconception. It is funny. The simplicity of work I often find is some of the most challenging for artists to yeah. create because a simple work that has a really strong impact, that is almost like the miracle spot, oh, yes. right? Yes, you're so right. Yeah, <laughs> it is just, it's the miracle spot. It is the holy grail of, of anything is simplicity in any art form, music. If yeah. you can keep it simple and also be incredibly moving, then you've, yeah. it's just remarkable because you you know you've been over this material so many times and it doesn't work, but there's just something. And look, actually, that's partly the brilliance of Instagram for me was it forced you to work simply. You have a small square, two-inch two square that you've got to make captivating. And that was an exercise in reduction for me and, and a, 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 basically a school in repetitive reduction. And I did that over and over and over and over and over for fun. And it, at the time, it really wasn't for any purpose other than a kind of a challenge. And it helped me in sort of working out what, what can I do with the, with the barest of things and just working with those key elements of perspective, color, shape, rhythm, composition, and as much as I think there are these sort of golden rules of how you do these things, I still think there's an element of magic to it. I still think there's an element of you can't really work, tell me why that's working and why that's not. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. And that's why I love doing it partly. And, you know, there's, there's clearly, you know, less obvious conceptual elements to the work where you're, there's, there's something driving us all to look at the things that we're looking at and trying to resolve the puzzles that we're trying to resolve. And, that's always interesting digging down when I have to write about my work and whenever the shows come around is that question of why and, you know, how and, what, you know, what's the point? Because I like pastels. I yeah. Like. <laughs> Love the colour. I mean, I remember Jeffrey Smart used to be great at that. He just like, I just like, I just like fun shapes and I like colour. Next question. Yeah. And um, then you've got other artists who go off on these amazing monologues. But um there's clearly something like back to the LA landscape for this work has to be the epicenter of it. And I still see it. I still see it when I get back to LA and I jump in a taxi and go home. I'm still staring out the window. Like I was going to say, like, is there ever a every point? single time? Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know what, there's <laughs> like, something, it's just some accidental, just beautiful kind of emptiness in the landscape. And, uh, uh, it's something in the textures and the light and the color and it's the foreignness. Uh, yeah, it's still the foreignness of not growing up around it because I could, I can drive around in other cities and even Sydney and in the industrial areas or um, the areas that that might look 
in essence similar but it's not the same i think it's really i think it's the desert i think it's the it's, it's the particular natural elements that are in la and it, there's got to be some sort of spiritual thing going on there there was a yeah. yeah there was an ancient history of of indigenous people there and they had the same feeling about feeling. the place yeah yeah it's been talked about time and time again and so many artists are stuck on it and it, i'm just a, a, one of a long line of people who got caught up in it as well and have done my best to make something yeah i wonder i was wondering do you ever feel there will come a point where you're like okay la i've seen you this done. Isn't, yeah, yeah this is done I think it'll definitely change. Yeah, it's not the same. And my drive to take the type of work I'm, t- I'm doing right now is different. Like even for this show, Inner Visions, it was, I wasn't approaching the creating of the work in the same way. I didn't have that same instinct to trawl the streets and search. And I was more um, working off existing work mm. more and mm. reevaluating what I'd already seen, but through a different lens. Yeah. And prior to the pandemic, I was going to Miami a lot to, to look at that place and that side of the country. And so I think okay. that was beginning to really ferment. And I was sort of, I, I was starting to go back there more. And I, the, yeah, so whether that will pick yeah. back up, I'm, we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I've thought about the same thing. Am I going to be like a Ellsworth Kelly, make the same type of work for 40 years? Like you look at his work, the last image in the first one looked like they could have been made in the same day. And then, 40 years apart or Ed Roche, you know, someone like that, who's, who's very much been all about Los Angeles his entire career and, and found ways to see it differently and, and it evolve. I'm not too sure. I think that all that will just present itself as I go along. That'll just I, be part of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I'll always have a relationship with it, yeah. but I think I will branch out into other areas as well. That's yeah. kind of what, it might, what I would predict. Cause as I said, I still, I still get the feeling in the pit of my stomach when I go there, when that's I, so exciting yeah especially when i've been away i still get yeah. it when i come back i still yeah. feel i feel excited about it even thinking about it and i don't yeah. even know like you don't know why and that's the best reason i think with those yeah. things is if you can't actually articulate it or intellectualize it perfectly clearly what well, i mean that's the best part of life those things that live in between and a few of these images in this next exhibition are actually pure abstraction so i just for these ones i actually created compositions with a pencil and paper and then scanned that, put it into a computer as a composition and started to assemble with just chunks of photographic material. Oh, amazing. So in those ones, I really did approach it as, uh, as, a, as a pure abstraction removed from any sense of location or, or space. So three of the works in the show um, at the end of the month will be them and they sit together as a triptych. Okay, yeah. So um, cool. that will be interesting to show them. And also we're doing a light box for this show, working with Warren Macris at High res the printer I use, and he, he's, he's been really encouraging about me making a light box for years. So this time we got around to it and that'll be hanging in the window. So that'll be, that'll be different. It's interesting as a photographer, you don't get to sit with your pictures mm. like the same way that a painter would. If I was in a studio with my paintings, I would know them all really well. I'd know how they'd interact in a space because they'd yeah. be sitting in my... With photography, the first time I walk in in three weeks, four weeks, is going to be the first time I've seen the show and how it sits together. So I'm excited for that. And that will be, I think, revealing as to how the show feels to me, obviously, is, and how it relates to each other and how the works are going to sit and yeah, speak the, to each other. Yeah, how the flow yeah. of the space will be. So, yeah, it should be interesting. That's exciting. Mm. All right. Do you remember the first piece you sold? I sold a photo 
was a black and white um, photo I sold at, at university. Um, my uncle bought it. My uncle bought like five images. Poor guy. They're all sitting somewhere in his basement. Big thanks to everyone, all my family that bought all my work in those early years. What do you do to get out of a creative funk? Just take a break. I don't really have a set technique on that. I I tend to have deadlines that I'm working on, so I do. I don't have the luxury of. I just yeah, have okay. to just keep get bashing my head against the wall. Yeah, but just normal stuff like exercise is always good for me. I need that balance of moving. Yeah. Okay. Exercise, bit of a change of scenery, and then just get on with it. Deadlines don't allow you to kind of wallow in creative funks. I do have the odd, like, what am I going to do next? And yeah, I, I do have that. I, I don't, not, I don't just cruise through life without any of that at all. No, I'm, I'm totally have my moments where I'm have that existential crisis about what I'm doing and where's it going. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm fortunate enough to be busy enough to not worry too much about it. And you having a goal and a job that's due is, is always a great way to get out of that. Who's your biggest fan? My girlfriend, yeah. Rose McIver. <laughs> I think, yeah. Love and it. And my mum. Yeah, and your mum. Close second. The, yeah. <laughs> the two women in your life yeah, battling right. it out. Battling it, yeah. <laughs> um, how do you deal with your inner critic? I respect him. I do. I think he's usually got a pretty good radar. Okay. So, no, we have a pretty good relationship. I don't think my inner critic sends me in, in too many bad directions and usually it's pretty accurate for yeah. better and worse. Yes. Yeah. If you could spend one day in the studio with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? David Hockney. Oh. Just seems like such a good bloke. Yeah. I love his work. He's still alive. You know, still you need alive. to try and make that happen before. I know. I know. I've, I've, I know someone that. I was going to say, surely you would know someone who knows someone. I have, but who it doesn't. Like... Uh, it doesn't seem to be producing anything. Oh. I need to start leaning on it. Yeah. Uh, that's a good. Yeah, I'm going to write that down on a post-it yeah. note. Yeah. David Hockney. David hustle. Hockney. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the one thing in your studio you can't go without? Uh. A desk. Desk. Fair enough. But that's boring. I mean, what else can I not go without? I've got a Herman Miller chair. Oh, nice. That's, that's okay. awesome. That, that, that was goes big, to the top of the list. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that's really changed sitting down for me <laughs> at work. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Artist swap. Is there an artist you haven't done a swap with that is next on your list that you're like, hey, I like your work? Patricia Treeb. Mm. Okay, Patricia, you know her painting? If you're listening, <laughs> George is going to slide into your DMs and be like. <laughs> I would, but she doesn't have Instagram. I've looked. Oh, she's but... one of these rare artists who doesn't exist on the. What? What do you mean she's just focusing on her work yeah, and not on Instagram? She's such a. <laughs> so cool. She's like represented by the coolest gallery in the world and doesn't have Instagram and just. There's no public presence whatsoever. Oh. She's like my mentor. Um, yeah. So, yeah, she would be, she was fantastic painting, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. And uh, two more questions. What's been your last art store splurge? I bought $400 worth of painting materials 
from Blick in Pasadena, in Los Angeles, okay. and okay. set up. I started doing oil paints just for fun while I was doing this show, as as a sort of whenever I'd have a break, squeeze cool. a bit of squeeze a bit of oil into the thing, and watching these online courses, and uh, that was my splurge, and <laughs> nothing worth showing at the moment, but uh, it's been. Yeah, nice. It's just like a meditation for me to have a break and, and I'd love to get back into it when I get back. Yeah. And I think that's part of the, um, you're obviously, you know, wise enough to know that we don't have to share everything in this day of oversharing. Yeah. Like you don't actually need to show your play or your experimentation or. Like, no, I think, yeah. I mean, it's so subjective, that stuff. I, I just tend to think less is more. Yeah. For me, I, I, I can't personally um, process too much information on Instagram, so I'm I'm rarely on it. I just post the odd thing and and then get off. Get off. Yeah. Have I you got can't. like a thousand people who have messaged you that you've just never answered? I've tried to be good. That's one thing I I've done since the very beginning. As I try to thank people or respond. Yeah. Okay. To anyone that'll ask me anything, just because I've been through it as a musician and I've been through feeling disempowered as an artist and how annoying it is when no one replies to you. And I also remember the people that did respond and they're kind of like infamous for, for yeah. like responding. And I was like, I think that's a good thing. And I think that my other thing that I've always paid really close attention to is just if someone wants to buy something or if someone's dealing with me on a professional level, I'm like above board, I reply mm. like that. Every, everyone, I've never dropped the ball or had to give a refund. Like, so that stuff. I take pretty seriously. And then last question, what do you wish someone had told you about the fine art world before you'd got in it? I mean, someone said like, you know, only do it if you have to. That was like an art, an art, art advice. But meaning like only do it if it's honestly the, all, the only thing that makes you happy. Interesting. I don't know. Because it is a brutally competitive business and you tend to find people are successful when it's kind of the only thing that they've got going for them and, and they, for whatever reason, have to, do, have to do it. And if they can make it work as a career, that's an added bonus. But I, I sort of worked that out in my own weird way. At university, we had people come and talk to us about the stuff, careers advice, and uh, I remember thinking, gee, that looks hard. Even at uni, I was like, I don't know. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I don't know if that's my part. I just think you've got to feel your own way with, with the arts. And there's no right, wrong way. I, I think do it if you enjoy it and don't yeah. don't get hung up if, if things don't pan out exactly the right way. There's so many interesting ways to make a living. And that doesn't – I think we've got very much sort of tuned now that if you're not making your living or making money out of your art, that it's not worth doing. And that's just it's ridiculous. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just about expression and you see it more when you get out of big, big cities, you know, like in, in the mega cities, it's very much all art and commerce and the market. But when you visit smaller scale cities and go to smaller galleries, that's when you really see the people doing it for the love of it. And yeah. that's always a good reminder for me. Yeah. George Byrne, congratulations on the book, Post Truth. Oh, thank you so much. Looking forward to the exhibition at um, Olsen Gallery. Thanks so much for the chat. It's been really fun.